0: Thanks, Megan. That's a happy story, isn't it? Man alive. Well read. appreciated. Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. We're looking at this theme this morning of, of darkness and trying to understand collectively how darkness that is often so vilified is actually a blessing in disguise. And so we're gonna, uh, I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer, and then we'll look at this together. Father, thanks that we can gather here. We pray and ask and Trust that your Holy Spirit would teach us, because all of us uh, walk in dar- darkness in seasons. And we want to learn, Father, how to, how to walk well in those seasons. So would you teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit, in order that we might see you and be shaped to be people of hope. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. One book that I really enjoy is a book in, by Barbara, Barbara Brown Taylor, entitled learning to walk in the dark. Uh, She's a pastor and an author and when she came to Christ as a teenager, she came out from a home where her parents taught her to enjoy being outside in the dark, like to look up at the stars and really kind of enjoy that, that darkness. And some of you in the room I know are that way, I'm totally that way, I love a night sky And when there's no moon and there's stars, infinite, it's incredible, right? So she learned that, but then she started attending church. And uh, this is what, now I'm quoting from the book, this is what she says. The preacher taught me things about darkness I'd never known. Without a single grinding of gears, he shifted from the subject of physical darkness to spiritual darkness, using my history of the one to fuel my fear of the other. He taught me it was no mistake that the devil and darkness began with the same letter. (laughs) He taught me uh, that they were headed to the same place along with Satan and his minions. He read scripture to support his points, picking out so many verses about outer darkness, the power of darkness, the people of darkness, that bumps broke out on my arms and back and neck and my neck got sweaty. How had I ever been fooled into thinking darkness was enchanting? I was suffering from, and don't you love this phrase, full solar Christianity dedicated to keeping people like me out of as many dark places as possible. And this notion of full solar Christianity is really, really important because it's kind of this articulation of uh, we would like people to have a faith in which there is no doubt, no suffering, no uncertainty, no lament. We're children of the light. And if we walk in the light, it's all joy. And God is all good all the time. And here's the reality. Nope, that's not the way it works. We can think that if we believe the right things, uh, we will automatically do the right things, and the result of that will be, for us, an obsession with believing the right things. Like, if I just knew a little bit more, I'd get it right. Now, this fixation on solar Christianity has led to an obsession with certitude. We want to know. And the reality is that if you look at nature, there's a rhythm. There's darkness and light. There are seasons of darkness. We're in it right now. It's dark at like three, right? Uh, Season of darkness and light. And there's not just darkness and light, but there's dusk and dawn. There's transitionary seasons as well. And, and so nature is trying to teach us the necessity of darkness, and then we want to figure out this morning how that, imply, how that applies to uh, our lives as well, because here's the reality. In our lives, there are seasons of doubt. There are seasons of uncertainty. There are seasons when you're at a crossroads. There are seasons of health challenges that are beyond your capacity. What do we do in those seasons? And so to understand this, we're going to first look at the story that uh, Megan read and, and some questions that arise from that. And then we're just simply going to look for a few minutes at uh, blindness and seeing, because that's really what's at stake here, is are we going to be people who are people of seeing or will we be people of blindness? So, we're, let's begin again by uh, re-articulating the story. And if we go a little earlier than what Megan read, we understand that the first question on the table is this, hey, this guy's born blind, who sinned? Did he sin or his father sin that he was born blind? Because somebody blew it, because we all know that if you do the right things, you'll be healthy, because that's actually taught in the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 28, right? There'll be no diseases. If all you got to do is obey me, and you're going to be healthy and upwardly mobile, and you'll always be lending money out to people, but you'll never have to borrow a penny. you like, if you do the right stuff, life just opens up for you. Deuteronomy 28, read it. It's right there in the Bible. So who sinned? This guy's born blind. Somebody blew it. Well, uh, that's next week's sermon. So f- I'm not going to answer it right now, okay? Come back this week because uh, w- what we really learn is yeah, we live in a fallen world, and none of us in the room are exempt from the effects of the fall. It happens to all of us, right? Bad things happen to good people, but God can use bad things in redemptive ways. That's next week. But these guys then, the, uh, Jesus heals the man, and then the crowd has questions. Question number one, isn't this the guy who used to sit and, was, he was blind, sitting and begging uh, at, the, at the temple, Is it, but now he sees, I can't figure this out, it must be a guy who looks just like him, who's now seeing, this can't be the guy, oh, oh no, said some other people, we're pretty sure it's the guy, so now there's a debate Is it a guy or is it an avatar or something like that, right? Like, what's going on here? And then, once they're convinced it's the guy, they want to know how this happened. How were your eyes opened? And the guy, here's the guy. I don't know. Somebody told me to go to the pool and wash, and I did. Now I see. Well, where's the guy who told you to go wash in the pool? I don't know. So then the people asking these questions, bring the guy to the religious leaders, and they have questions too, the seminarians, right? So here's them, verse 15. How did you receive your sight? They're, they want to know. And then there's a doctrinal debate that unfolds about the identity of Jesus. Uh, side A, this guy can't be from God, he broke the law. Side B, this guy has to be from God, he healed the man. Nope not from God, yes, from God, Uh, among seminarians, doctrinal debate. Imagine that. And then so they go back to the guy. Who do you think he is? And then rather than face the fact that something actually happened, they also try to change the narrative. This isn't the guy who was blind. The guy who was blind is still blind. And so they take the guy who now sees, who they think is an imposter of the blind guy, to the parents of the blind guy. And they go, is this your son? And they're like this, yeah, it's our son. And they go, no, he can't be your son because he sees. And they go, yeah, he sees now, but he's still our son, right? (laughs) So then, faced with an inability to change the narrative, they push for a particular interpretation of the narrative we know the guy who healed this guy is a sinner because he healed him on the Sabbath. And then the guy says this, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but here's the the only thing I know is I was blind and now I see. And this leads to a confrontation. The previously blind guy says to the seminarians, hey, if this guy wasn't from God, he couldn't have done this. And as a result the leaders kick him out of the church because the guy with no seminary education is challenging their carefully constructed doctrinal house of cards because the guy had a real experience with God that trumps his Bible reading. It wasn't that he heard a lecture. It wasn't that he all a listen to a doctrine. It was that he went to a pool and put water in his eyes and now he who was blind from birth sees. Now, let's just fly above this for a second. This is amazing to me. This guy was born blind. To this day, it's incredibly rare that anyone born blind is ever able to see. Like, it just this just doesn't happen. So, he was blind, and then he sees. And as a, as a result, what? Is anybody celebrating? No. There ought to be a party for the guy, Right? hey, you see now, right? But that's not happening. Instead, we want to know if it happened, how it happened, why it happened, if God's in it somehow, and what should be a cause for celebration becomes a cause for debate and ultimately a cause for excommunicating the guy from the church, so then we pick up the story. Jesus heard they put him out and finding him, verse 35 of John 9, Jesus said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, uh, Who is he, Lord, that I could believe in him? And then Jesus says, You've seen him, and he's the one talking to you right now. And then he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And then Jesus says, in the presence of the seminarians, he says, "For this reason I came into the world, that those who, may, who uh, may excuse me, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind." So then, the seminarians, the Pharisees, who were with him, heard these things and said to him, "Are we blind?" <laughs> and Jesus said, "Well, if you knew that you were blind, you'd see." But because you say you see, you're blind. Isn't that, that's like a Buddhist cone, right? You know, sit with that for a minute. If you know you're blind, you'll see. But if you think you see, you're blind. What's that about? Glad you asked. Because, that, I mean, we're just going to look for a couple minutes here at blindness and sight. Let's do that. Let's, first of all, let's think about blindness. When the story's over the guy who didn't see has vision, and the people who could see physically and thought they were seeing clearly spiritually are confirmed in their blindness. So I'm going to make a couple observations. Observation number one. Their blindness, the religious leader's blindness, completely understandable. Because they had, it says in the text, uh, according to Moses, don't do any work on the Sabbath, right? So they've got a, what I call a Moses grid through which they're assessing reality. They have a grid. Uh, And everybody has grids, but especially spiritual teachers have grids. And and they view themselves then as guardians of the law. God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, right? So now, uh, I've studied the law, I teach the law, I'm called to defend the law, protect the law, declare the law, So the law becomes the grid through which I look at the world. It's totally understandable. And here's the thing. The intention of the law was to point people ultimately toward Messiah. But that was the problem right there. Because in their zeal to protect the law, they ended up rejecting the movement required that would have pointed them to the person of whom the law spoke. Does that make sense? Like in my zeal to protect my, my faith, my religion, I run the risk of missing Jesus. So they're assessing everything through the lens of their worldview, but if the worldview is held too tightly, we run risks. If I'm convinced that my worldview is bomb-proof because it came from the Bible, I stop learning new things. And then I become only a turf defender of what I already believe. And when we do this, we don't really see. In fact, we do this because we don't see, we label. Like uh, when you you see someone, it's, it's kind of overwhelmingly tempting to put a label on a person. And in our increasingly polarized culture, it's, Almost instinctive to put a label on somebody Republican, Democrat, open and affirming, traditional family values, evangelical, homeless. So you're driving, you're driving on the freeway and you see somebody uh, who's homeless, or you're running around Green Lake and you see somebody sleeping under a tree, and you don't know anything about that person other than they're sleeping under a tree. You don't know anything. But as soon as you label that person, there's a boatload of assumptions that come with a label. Does that make sense? And so you're, then you dump the dump truck of assumptions on, on the person. Oh, homeless. But you don't know, you actually don't know. Is it mental illness? Is it domestic violence? Is it bankruptcy from lack of access to care? Is it, are they're cut off by their own family? Is it, is it uh, substance abuse? You don't know. But, you, but you've labeled them, and in the label, you've put them in a category. And now you, now you don't have to think about it anymore because they, they don't fit in your grid of upward mobility. You've judged them in a sense, right? So I want you to, I want you to see this. It's very important. We all have lots of assumptions that come from our culture and our worldview, and these assumptions, becomes a, they become a lens for us But the problem is that the lens distorts and hides reality. So for example, you see a woman on the bus, she has two young children. Her children are disastrous on the bus. They're screaming, yelling at each other. It's disruptive to the entire bus. You're judging her. What a terrible mother. And then as you, get on the, as you get off the bus, this is a story from Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You get, you get off the bus and you realize, oh, she says, I'm sorry, uh, uh, my husband was just, uh, was just murdered. And we we're just coming back from the police station or whatever was the crisis. And you didn't know there was a crisis. All you knew was the kids couldn't perform. And you judge her, but you don't know the whole story. You see this guy with a MAGA hat on and you think you know him what you don't know about him, this is a true story as well, this guy in Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, he spends every Saturday at a refugee resettlement ministry. And he's handing out food, and he's collecting clothing, and he's meeting people, and he's caring for people, because this is what he says to me. He says, I, don't, I, I have my politics, but whatever is my politics, I know this. They're hungry. They're cold. They're afraid. I'm here. I want to be Jesus for them. I wouldn't have known that by the hat. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's so easy to to think you see and you don't see. What does Jesus say about this? John 7, 24. He says, "Uh, you people, and he's talking to us, you people judge by outward appearance. Stop. Instead, this is what he says, judge with righteous judgment. Well, what does that mean? It means... Uh, look, quit attaching labels and presuming you know you don't know. Uh, the goal in the end is not that you develop this kind of great doctrinal lens to which you look at the world so that you can do thumbs up and thumbs down on everybody around you. Like the two guys, the Muppet guys, who, the old men who are up in the balcony. <laughs> like you, th- this is Christianity for many people. We're like the hecklers. And we're judging people who don't fit our paradigm. And the result when we do this is that evangelicals like the Pharisees of old become characterized more by what they're against than what they're for. But being against stuff was never God's goal. Jesus didn't say, I came that you might have a doctrinal grid through which to assess the world. Jesus said, John 10, I came that you might have what? Life, like that you might really live abundantly, like overflowing with hope and joy and all that good stuff. In fact, it's put this way in Galatians 1:16, it pleased God to reveal God's Son in me. In other words, God's goal is that you look like Jesus. And Jesus wasn't walking through the world doing this all the time. Jesus was serving and loving and blessing and crossing social divides. So the danger of blindness is that we become judges in a very unhealthy way. So let's then talk about seeing for just a couple of minutes. The ones who see are able to see for three reasons. Reason number one, if you know you're blind, then you're hungry for more revelation. It's very important. If I know that I don't have the whole story, then I'm hungry, I'm always open to new revelation. This guy knew he was blind, and therefore he's open to new revelation. Paul became blind on the road to Emmaus, and in the context of blindness, his entire world was deconstructed and rebuilt. In other words, Paul thought he knew, but as soon as he knew that he didn't know, then he was open to new revelation, and then he knew. But as long as he thought that he would, had he said, no, no, I know, I'm done learning, then he will never know more, and then he'll remain blind. So, th- I mean, this is just very practical. This, this weekend is 30 years from the fall of the Berlin Wall and the transformation of Germany. We had a German student with us when the wall fell, she was uh, 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 with us for that week from the Torchbearer School in Canada. A Group of students came down, they were with us in Friday Harbor uh, and she was watching Tom Brokow with us when the wall fell down, weeping, telling me stories about uh, relatives that she had in Eastern Germany that she'd never met before in her life and now she was hopeful that she might be able to meet them. All this amazing stuff. Two years later, I went to Germany for the first time and I grew up in the Central Valley of California and literally did not know a Christian who drank any alcohol. Like uh, Fresno is the, like the belly button of the Bible Belt of, Fresno, of California. Like it's like ultra, ultra red and conservative and it was drummed into us in church and my dad, Christians don't drink, Christians don't drink. So imagine, I go to Germany I, and then I'm with a student who then ha- takes me to his house for the weekend and invites his extended family, for a big party to meet me. And here we are, you know, aunts, uncles, sister, grandparents eating for like four hours, which Germans are so good at hospitality, amazing. And then we're talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther and church history and racism and social justice and the wall falling down and the lens of faith that informs everything, and they're all drinking the whole time. And there's like a visceral, physical piece of me because of my upbringing that wants to say, you need to know Jesus as your Savior. Can I share the gospel with you? But I knew they already knew knew Christ. I knew they knew, but it didn't fit my paradigm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, this is a critical moment because either you say, no, no, what I already know is enough and you judge them or you allow this experience to reinform your faith. Am I making any sense? And if we don't allow the experience to reinform our faith, we remain blind. And this has happened all through church history. People judging the other because the other is divorced. People judging the other because the other own slaves, or is opposed to slavery. And like, there are issues on the table, fine, but don't back your dump truck, uh, dump truck up and dump everything on and say, oh, because of your view on this, you have no faith. Wrong. Just wrong. Be willing to learn along the way. So, when it's dark, you're more careful, and you're open to outside revelation. Second, those uh, who know their own failure are open to real repentance. Like when my world has imploded and I've blown it, then I'm open to repentance. And so I'm open to revelation. I'll see light that I wouldn't have seen before, If I confess my sin, in other words, then I'm open. And then the third category, very important category, is when our world implodes and there's nothing we can do, we're open to new power. And toward that end, I want to share a story with you this morning uh, from my friends Tom and Claudia. So let's look at this video for just a minute.
1: Isaiah 58 9, then you will call and the Lord will answer, and you will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. <laughs> and I'm going to start crying now reading this. <laughs> <laughs> on January 24th, um, I passed out. Collapsed on the hallway. In the form. hallway, and she calls on 911, paramedics show up. So we drove to Silverdale to the ER in, in the hospital there. I got up on a gurney, and that's the last I remembered for 10 days. I woke up in Harborview, and then over the next day or two, the story came out of how I was mostly dead and came back to life. I had gotten sepsis, which is a major life-threatening disease. All your organs shut down, and my fingers and my toes were all black, and I didn't have a clue why I was there or what had happened.
2: From the very beginning, I had nothing I could contribute. I had no skills that I could do anything about this situation that came on very fast. And so I remember the freedom that came out of that was quite profound because when I am weak, then He can be strong. So I felt very confident that God was right there from day one, and that's a huge gift to just sit with God and, you know, ponder these circumstances happening and not feeling any need or certainly no skill set to deal with them. I was just so grateful you watched uh, every single nurse there doing exactly what Jesus has told all of us to do with their hands, their voice. It was unbelievable to watch. It was a very holy time for me just because I had stopped doing anything else so it was me and God and Tom. So we could sit and just, you know, be curious together, pray for the people around us, and uh, just be ministered to. I felt so strongly that I finally opened the door that God could say, for heaven's sakes, I've been begging you for years to let me just carry you. And you are so busy walking on your own. And uh, so it was, it was a really joyful, mournful time. And I think what's profound is I'm convinced it's going to be better. I mean, God is not taking us on a walk to get downhill. That there's It's going to be better than what we had prior to this.
1: I guess it's a miracle that I'm here, and, and this is part of me trying to figure out what are the next steps. And so there's, there's that processing of, Okay, God, um, this is sort of my second chapter, Tom 2.0. Um, what does that look like? And what have you learned? What have you What are you going to move forward in?
0: We're privileged uh, in this service to have the star of the show, the stars of the show, here with us. Would you welcome Tom and Claudia? Thank you, you guys for thank you for your testimony and. Uh, your transparency and vulnerability and could you just talk a little bit more by, by, by way of giving us an update not only physically but what you're what you're continuing to learn
1: um i don't know if I, want, I it's tough being here and seeing this and it gets it's a it's an emotional time uh four years ago coming january but um it's been really it's been really andrew's bringing Oh. The it's from, it's been tough okay, there, there we go, that's <laughs> better. So it's hard to see yourself after four years of going through the process. But as Claudia said, um, it's it's getting better, but the directory is getting better. But it's still, there's lots of up and downs. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm on a scooter now and recovering from a surgery to remove hardware that got infected because of the septus, mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. But you know, now I'm thinking about labeling and what are people <laughs> labeling that whole thing. But I know that um, we're in a great place because of um, the wisdom that I see coming from my wife's words and how, how that still inspires me today and how hmm. I'm so moved by that.
0: Claudia, anything you want to add?
2: Um, yeah, I think it's important. Our walk, it's the same way of growing intellectually. There's ups and downs, but the end is going up. So yeah, yeah. momentary down here. So everyone can pray for no fungus. <laughs> That's right. I won't go into detail, but um, <laughs> it's a good body to pray. So, yeah, we're hanging in, and, and God just getting bigger and bigger.
0: Thank you so much, you guys. Grateful. <clears throat> well, I, I particularly love uh, Claudia's word where she said, when this happens, there's nothing I can do except allow Jesus to carry me. I just want to key in on that for a minute because that's really the crux of what we're doing here this morning. There's nothing I can do. Just like the man born blind. Just like the words of Jesus. Remember what he said? Abide in me and you'll bear fruit because apart from me you can do what? Nothing. Just like Paul's words. We're not adequate to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Our adequacy is from God. So here's what happens in all of our lives. In all of our lives, here's what happens. We're plunged into darkness in seasons. It happens all the time. Darkness, the death of a parent, at 17. Death of a spouse, death of a child, that's darkness. Health health challenges, that's darkness. An encounter that explodes your carefully constructed spiritual world, that's darkness. Child comes out in your family. That's darkness. You meet a gay couple who worships and prays and loves. That's darkness. For some of you, you meet a you meet a guy with a MAGA hat on who has a ministry to refugees. That's darkness for some of you. You're at a vocational crossroads where you really don't know which way to turn. That's darkness. A, there's a job loss. That's darkness. You're trying to decide when are you going to retire. That's darkness because you want to do the right thing, not the wrong thing. And here's why darkness matters. Because if I know it's dark, then I'm open to seeing. I want to see. But if, if I say, oh no, it's not dark. I've got a plan. And then, by, by the way, a plan B as well. Or no, I already know. I already know the answer. Then you will never see. And here's why seeing matters. Looking like Jesus is the most important thing in your life. And the truth is, We become more like Christ only because we see. But we only see after we acknowledge our darkness and blindness. So blindness comes from the humility of acknowledging, I don't know, I thought I knew, but I don't. Blindness comes from failure or illness or the paralysis of a decision that is beyond our capacity. And if in our moments of blindness and darkness, we double down, sing louder, try to push through our strength with our existing paradigms and assumptions of theology, thump our Bible harder, withdraw into our echo chamber of people who already think just like us. If in our moments of blindness we double down, then this is John 9. Oh, you think you see? Here's the problem, you're blind. But if you know you're blind and you name it, This is what you get from Jesus, revelation. That's good news. So we're at like a crossroads here as we close. It's a time of choice in all of our lives. Either, I mean, there's an issue on the table. For many of us in the room, there's an issue. You don't, like, you don't know because your child came out or a student that you love came out. You don't know because you're at a vocational crossroads. You don't know because you're plunged into a a supreme health challenge or financial challenge. You don't know because Thanksgiving is coming up and you can't talk politics with your family. You don't know. Good, that's what I say, good. Because as soon as you don't know, you'll begin to know. But when you think you know, you won't change. And then, and then the darkness remains. Some of you, Uh, enjoy Lord of the Rings. Few of you enjoy Lord of the Rings as much as I do. (laughs) But some of you do. But even if you haven't read the books, uh, you've probably seen the movie years ago. And this ring has to be, you know, carried to Mount Doom and all that stuff. And here's, here's, you know, a dozen seminarians with the ring in the center pontificating on what needs to be done. We're going to destroy the ring, and uh, we're going to form an army, and we're, we're going to do… There's, there's a plan here, and there's a plan here, and there's a plan here, and the plans are rooted in, you know, esoteric understanding of the world, and worldview, and lenses, and history, and all this stuff. And then, you know, in the midst of the heated argument, the, the, this guy stands up, and even when he stands up, he's not big, and his name is Frodo, and he stands up, and he. this is what he says, and it silences all the debate. He goes, I'll carry the ring. But, he says, do you know the rest? I don't know the way. Wow. You know, this is the world we live in. Two kinds of people. In the midst of a deeply divided, polarized, angry culture, there's people like this. I'm not carrying the ring. I'm done. I'm done with all the fighting. And I'm just going to live my life. Upward mobility, wall of security, raise my kids, cocoon a little bit, and die. Because I don't, I'm not carrying the ring. And then here's the other side. Oh, no, we know the way. We just got to be redder (laughs) or bluer or purer. And so we'll carry the ring because we know the way. Wrong and wrong. There's only one right answer. Yeah, I'm called. I'm called to represent Christ and in this moment, what? I don't know the way. I got to tell you, that's who I am. It's hard to talk in this room anymore without being accused of being too liberal or too conservative because of the polarization of our culture. And yet we're not called to be liberal or conservative. We're called... To represent Christ. And I don't know the way. But I know the one who knows the way. And by the way, so do you. So we're calling for a time of response this morning. In that I'm inviting you to use the prayer books and literally write down, I don't know the way forward with, and then you fill it in. How to talk to my neighbors about politics. My my child who came out of the closet with his sexuality. Uh, my friend who is ill and recovering. I don't know the way, but God, you know the way. And if you just come, by your coming and writing, you're sharing and giving people the courage to enter into that same level of humility so that we collectively understand that we're on a great adventure together, carrying the ring that is the life of Christ. And we don't know the way, but we know the one who knows the way. So name that area in your life this morning where you don't know the way, in our prayer books as a response and read the ones that are already there as well because many people responded at eight. Father, would you meet us now? Uh, all of us in the room are walking in areas in seasons in darkness. We don't know the way, but we know the one who knows the way. So would you, would you light our path, Father, as we cling to you in a rapidly changing, deeply divided, anxious, fearful world shape us to be people of hope, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.